You're listening to Conversion Cast, presented by Leadferno. I'm your host, Aaron Weike. Conversion Cast focuses on digital marketing and conversion, exploring the art and science to turn a lurker on your website to a lead, a browser to a buyer. Today, conversion expert Andy Crestadina is back on the show to discuss what you should remove immediately from your website. Andy is the founder and CMO of Orbit Media Studios, an award-winning digital agency in Chicago. In a digital world where most experts are telling you to add, add, and add more to everything you're doing, Andy shares with us key elements that you should remove or take another look at to enhance to better your website. These tips are going to benefit your SEO, user experience, and conversion. Andy, thank you so much for joining me again on Conversion Cast. You have the boy, I don't I don't know if it's unique or prestigious, but but it is a thing. You you were you ended up being the first episode released. So Wow. Yeah. Honored and, and honored to be back, Aaron. This is, I, I jumped on it as soon as I saw your message. Like, didn't want to miss this. <laughs> the plaque trophy award, whatever it is, it's, it's in the mail. I don't know where it is, but <laughs> it, it'll arrive. I, I am proud though. I waited six months before I pinged you again. And you quite honestly put out enough uh, content. I could just have you on every week and it would be valuable to, to the listeners. But as we said last time, and hopefully this will seal the deal, they should already be following you on YouTube the way I am, LinkedIn, all of those other places. So, well, it's uh, if you ever want to like launch a new show and need a co host, I'm right here. <laughs> all right. The Aaron and Andy show coming uh, soon to a set of headphones near you. I have you on today because one of your most recent pieces of content, a YouTube video, just really struck a chord with me. And it's where you outlined 13 things you need to remove immediately from your website. So mm-hmm. your clickbait got me, and I was so surprised that a majority of things uh, were things on here that I either had feelings about, have talked about right before I got into software. I built websites for for 15 years in, in rad agencies, and so many of these were just no-brainers, and you also presented some different angles or, or went a little bit deeper on some of these where I was like, okay, this is applicable to anyone. And even though some of these are no-brainers, you need other voices. You need someone else telling you to like rethink that decision and correct your wrong. So I thought this was a great opportunity to have you on to to talk about these. So with that, I tried to give them some order to some of the things I think tie into conversion um, even more that can, you know, creates that friction removes a a path or changes uh, what they're doing. So I I wanted to take a look at uh, some of those and and get through this very valuable list you have. But Mm -hmm. to me, number one, and it was your number one too, I don't know if you ordered them in any type of uh, weighted order, but vague homepage headers, right? And and, and when I saw this, I even thought really like, this is true for every page header, quite frankly, but absolutely the homepage since your most important important page on the site. That's right. It is almost inevitably one of the top landing pages for websites. It's also kind of one of the hardest pages to make because it's the page for which you know the least about your visitor. Homepages have wildly diverse audiences and traffic sources. So that person's not not necessarily brand aware at all. And the first question of every visitor to every web page is, am I in the right place? So 
uh, maybe obvious, not obvious if you look around, but just uh, you know, the quick pro tip, make sure your homepage headline simply explains what you do. Like if, if I asked you what you do and you read me your homepage header, I would know what you do. So that's, it should pass the five second test or there's other names for that test. But yeah, it's, and it's also good for SEO. And you and I first met at a, at a search conference. You know, in, tell, tell the world what you do. Simply indicate relevance for search engines and tell the not yet brand aware visitor what category you're in, your positioning, that simple statement, the six word summary of what you do, and then get clever farther down the page. Uh, clarity beats cleverness in headlines for sure. And really, at the end of the day, you you can also do a little bit of, of both, right? Like sure. you can bring that clarity and add that little bit of pizzazz or sparkle mm-hmm. or a big promise at the end of it, but don't skip that, right? And right. just as as you put and you shared, and I've seen this, we both have seen this millions of times, Yep. so completely general, right? The headline might as well be, we do stuff, right? Yep. Like, <laughs> and it's like, what what kind of stuff? What are you talking about? It, it's amazing what happens when maybe just the general marketer writes the website content or the letters look nice with the photo they use. Like, oh, it's so yep. crazy. Or, or they spent a bunch of money on a branding agency or they grabbed it from a creative brief that, you know, they talked about in conference rooms for three months. And it's just like kind of like a, a, a we love us sort of statement. Yep. <laughs> Not helpful. Not helpful to the visitor. So uh, it should be able to stand on its own. And, uh, but yeah, you're right. And that's part of the creative challenge is to like add that one unexpected word or, uh, you know, just make it disarmingly direct or, you know, I mean, you can still tell your story, but first tell people what you do. Yes. Do not skip the basics on this. Um, mm-hmm. you can still put a bow on it, wrap it up tight, try to create some emotion and excitement with it. But if you skip the the basics that you are um, a, a home mover or a plumber in this area uh, or a consulting company focusing on this, you're just, you're completely, you're starting the whole thing off on the wrong foot and you're asking so much of your user to start to make a connection when you've already caused them to maybe have more questions that they don't care to get answered anymore than answering them within five seconds, just like you said. That's right. We have, Every web page is a back button. Never forget it. <laughs> there you go. All right. The, the next one, which tied into content and consuming a page I had was meaningless subheads. Mm-hmm. And this is another one, again, where I, I feel like people just get into the visual aspect. And so you will hit a subhead that just says services instead of the specific type of services. Mm-hmm. It will just say, you know, reviews instead of reviews for what type of business or what type of service or what people are commenting on. You just get these one label headers instead of putting in the descriptive terms that inform the user and help them understand what you're talking about and making the page a scannable, quick, easy read. Yeah, I think it might be a product of the the process. Like people who like kind of start with a template or make a layout before the copy's final. It's like there was a note on the wireframe that said, Oh, this is the services block. And, you know, the template they downloaded or the designer that made that thing or whatever, you know, it just had services as text. And it sort of felt like, oh, that's what this is. And they got there and they, you know, they filled in all the blanks, but the header (laughs) never changed. And in the end, they've got a, you know, a word that doesn't say anything to anybody. It, It means nothing. The visitor, right in their field of vision, they can see what the content is. So if you have subheads that just say services or solutions or what we do, just either get rid of it 
and move everything up a little bit. That's just pushing down. That's adding pixel height without adding value. Or capture that missed keyword opportunity or be descriptive or help the visitor know where they are. Your visitors are all scanning and scrolling. So you have to try to help them know where to slow down. So, you know, you know, healthcare digital transformation services, you know, or, you know, restaurant equipment repair training services or whatever your weird thing is, put it there, make it explicit and tell the visitor what that block's going to be about. Uh, it's, it, it's the same idea, I guess. Should it, um, <laughs> I feel like we could go on about it, but uh, hopefully everyone is like, uh, you know, running over to a browser and taking a quick look and looking for ways to add specificity. That's partly what we're saying, right? Yep. And do you have an opinion on this personally, Andy? Do you think brevity is important in subheaders at all? Because I'm I'm on the opposite side. I feel like, yeah, put a put a sentence in there. It's in a larger font. You have this opportunity to describe, to be very scannable, to relate and, and build something. I'm not, I'm not this believer where I feel like I see so many others try to keep it to like two words, three words. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, great point. Well, I think that there are, uh, you've seen how headlines have gotten longer over the years. Even the news media is using headlines that are basically like two sentences. You know, I, there's lots of data that shows calls to action when they have more information. They sometimes get like two bites at the apple. You know, you can tell, be really specific about what the person's doing as they click. So I've never seen any data that showed better performance from a short anything, honestly. Yep. <laughs> so I would, uh, it made a kind of, you know, violate your design sensibilities to to have like a, an eight word subhead, but it's not about you or what you think is pretty. And 0% of your visitors are there to, to, to see how beautiful the page is. Yep. They're looking for answers. So uh, I, I think it's a great point. Uh, I'd like to add that to the article uh, with a quote from you if you want to send me one. But that I think it's, it's key, right? It's just, uh, again, uh, be clear, not clever. Yeah. And uh, boy, I think that statement perfectly tied in with something I was already going to say and add. To me, web design has become so little about design or creativity and just so much more about good formatting, spacing, hitting the expectations of how to discover and consume information that, you know, once upon a time, I definitely felt in in the early 2000s. And once we got to like wider browser screens, you were looking to take a lot of liberties with adding depth to the screen and different design elements and things like that. Now I'm like, just make this shit crystal clear and organized mm -hmm. well. And mm -hmm. spacing is the absolute best design tool you can ever have. I can't believe the amount of, very little have I told a designer to remove spacing. I can't tell you how many millions of times I've said, add spacing, add some vertical spacing, let that breathe a little bit. So to what you just said there, I think really, really ties in with that is like you, you cannot offend design by being things being um, well put together, well spaced, well organized. Yeah, this, this could be a whole conversation, but I, the, the desire of the brand and the marketer to be different sometimes pushes them into wanting to be different in terms of their layouts or their UX. Big mistake. Yeah. Web design standards have been conforming to each other over years. It's really settled down. Like we know kind of what works and visitors you know, don't want to learn a new way to use a website. So yeah, open it up. Keep in mind there's a visual hierarchy on every web page. And in fact, there's a visual hierarchy at every scroll depth. So make a decision about what is the most important thing to, to, to draw attention to at that scroll depth. And then you end up concluding like, yeah, each of these blocks kind of stands on its own. It's like, you know, where we used to click around websites, now we're just scrolling down pages.
but it's but the experience is quite similar, right? You you get to a place where uh, you're looking to have your information needs met. So you know specific subheads are are um, really valuable in that context. Yep. All right. The the next one, number three here, keeping in line with content, long paragraphs. And, mm. you know, I always call this the walls of death, right? Where there's so much content, no line breaks in there, eight sentences in a paragraph where it's just a wall of text. And that causes you to read none of it. <laughs> I have this, uh, this, this kind of quip I use sometimes in presentations. It's like, designers all know that visitors like white space, but writers didn't get the memo. All you need to do, it's the easiest problem to solve. You just hit the return key. That's it. Like costs nothing. There's no downside. Like again, this is not this is not a book, and you are not a a, a professor giving them assigned reading. Wherever their traffic source, search or social or email, they came from a place where they saw hundreds of other options, and they know the back button's right there. Yeah. So make your content easy to consume. Make it accessible. Make it scannable. Help them flow through it. It's like, it reminds me of like a beach read. Do you ever read a book and you get to like that one page chapter and you're like, I love this book. Dan Brown's a great author. I'm flying through. It's because they open it up, right? They're not yep. sending you into like the Ulysses, like super dense paragraphs. That's a really easy one that anyone can fix. General rule, I never write a paragraph longer than three lines. Yeah, the same. It took me a while to break myself of some traditional habits and things like that. But when you realize, when you're just able to self-reflect on what's easier for yourself to you know, take in, especially as the world moved to mobile and everything else to apply that and to take a look at your content, make sure you don't offend that rule. And it's a simple hack, right? It's just some extra returns mm -hmm. and breaking things apart. And now then you can get into it with, okay, should I maybe use more subheaders, list items? There's a number of different elements that you can use to make it even more scannable and make things uh, stand out and, and easier to consume from there. Absolutely. I love this topic, Aaron. <laughs> this is very actionable. <laughs> I hope yes. the listeners are enjoying this. Yeah. Well, I look at like those top three alone can make a massive impact on a website, even if we didn't share the rest of these. And yep. One thing that I can personally share just because I, I was, you know, I was once a developer and I was a sucky enough developer that I got into sales and, and marketing. Um, thank goodness, because my developer ceiling was all of six feet high um, and I can do a little bit better at sales and marketing. And in being a, a marketer and, a, and someone in sales, I can be really wordy. And so one of the best things that I have found using AI for is condensing what I'm writing about. I give it my barf of seven sentences, eight sentences, and I say, do this in 60 words or less, right? I ask it to only do it in two sentences. Um, so if you have content that you feel like is out of control, goes on too long, your paragraphs are too big, this is a simple use for ChatGPT or other AI writing tools. Plug in that long form content ask it to um, punch, to take it down. And then you can even ask it to punch it up a little bit or provide a different angle in it um, as a great tool to, to help not only fix the long paragraphs, but make your content better. Yeah, I, I don't use AI for writing drafts. Uh, I, I do sometimes use it to help create a creative brief or an outline. But uh, I've been asked to teach it and I've gone through methods and I've experimented with prompts. And, when I, and the prompts I have that do successfully write drafts include instructions such as include some one sentence paragraphs pull out the most compelling sound bites and use them as their own paragraphs right you know include some very short sentences you know, uh, avoid long words 
avoid certain words. Yep. And then you end up, you know, the more abuse you give to the to the AI, the more likely it is to come back with something that that the reader can scan, that flows nicely, that has white space. So yeah, I mean, if you read, uh, you know, some of the best bloggers, uh, they'll write, I think about like Joe Weeb or probably people you and I both know and love. The way they write is very open. And the, you know, it's sort of, again, each scroll depth has a visual hierarchy. You know, it's guiding your eye. Yep. So the shorter the paragraph, the more likely the visitor is to read it. Yep. And those guys are using analytics and their scroll depths and all those things to to understand what works and what fosters that deeper engagement with the content. So you should not uh, you should not skip m- missing out on kind of reading between the lines on how it's formed. That's a very good point. Improving your website is a great step to creating more traffic coming to your website. But then what? What you really want is not just web traffic, but you want prospects to be able to reach out to you to become a lead in your sales funnel. Make sure you turn every page of your website into a conversion page. With Leadferno, our web to text widget is the most customizable conversion widget on the market. You can power texting, click to call, call requests, and link to any content or estimate form from one place. Improve your conversions by starting our 14 day free trial at leadferno.com. Are you an agency? We have an agency partner program as well. Again, visit leadferno.com. All right, number four, generic navigation, right? Uh, Small businesses, super guilty of this. Um, Large entities as well, right? I mean, how many nav bars can you pull out and have home, about, services, products, solutions, contact? (laughs) And there is no qualifier. There is nothing that gives more detail to it. What should people be doing to make sure their navigation is not generic? If I read your navigation, same as the header, right? And I don't know what you do. If the navigation doesn't indicate what what the visitor is going to get if they click, uh, then you're going to have more back button activity. You know, this is not a, a good thing. The goal of, a, of the nav label is to help the visitor predict what they get if they click. Yep. So the best navigation labels are specific. And yes, they're a little bit longer. Uh, on the upside, you know, they're often keyword focused or they tell the person, you know, what you do. So if you have six products or six, let's say six services, and so your, your navigation, you want to keep it clean. So you've only got room for, you know, uh, five or six things. Well, bump that secondary navigation, the about, the blog, the, the, the contact uh, up into the eyebrow, the secondary navigation, and just make your primary navigation the list of your services. The visitor at a glance can tell what you do. Most homepage visitors don't scroll at all. According to my research, I have like a composite hot jar scroll heat map uh, that I've used to like check to see like what percentage of homepage or B2B visitors scroll. So yes, please do them a favor, help them out, reduce back button activity, improve your rankings, all, all you know, better UX by using simple descriptive nav labels uh, whenever possible. And by the way, the word solutions, I've got a problem with this. I've done hundreds of hours of keyword research in my career, and I never that word never pops up. Yep. The only people who use the word solutions are salespeople. Buyers don't call it a solution. No one says that. It's weird. Yep. It should be banned all across the board, right? Navigation, headers, just banned mm-hmm. solution. Yep. <laughs> all right. Number five. This one will probably take a little bit of an explanation for people to understand, but testimonials page. Mm. What what should be done with this? What is the better way to do this than having just a testimonials focused page? Okay, short explanation. Do not make unsupported marketing claims, i.e. 
fill your pages with evidence, i.e. use testimonials or data or awards or certifications or years in business or number of happy clients or customer reviews or whatever you've, success stories, whatever you've got to strengthen your claims. The worst pages are piles of unsupported marketing claims. The best pages are filled with evidence. Okay, so we all agree testimonials are great. They're good, right? It changes the messenger from you to your audience. Every message is a messenger and you're not the best messenger for certain messages. Got it. We all love testimonials. But by putting them on a different page, you're basically hiding them. You're helping the visitor skip them. You're taking them out of the person's field of vision. So they're weakest when you put them all together in one big page called testimonials because people tend not to visit those pages. Go check your analytics. It's probably your 25th or 45th most popular page. Make every page a testimonials page. Fill your pages with evidence. Put the, put the social proof, which is what that is, right next to the claim that it supports so it's relevant. You know, they can also, and, and in that case, again, you can tell them an SEO, right? Now you've got a keyword focused testimonial, yes. which is cheese and mousetrap. It can attract yep. more, you know, help you rank higher, attract more visitors and convert visitors into leads because you've, you know, strengthened and supported your claims. So no, I think it's, um, uh, it's just like, it reminds me of, you know, you go to a restaurant and order a plate of garnish or something. It's like, it, it doesn't make sense. It's yep. a supportive thing. It doesn't stand on its own. It goes, they should be everywhere. So get rid of the testimonials page and make every page a testimonials page. Yeah. And, and I can speak to this as well from my own experience. One, every now and then I help some of our lead for no clients uh, refresh, make their website a little bit better and, and point out things like this, because at the end of the day, we don't create web traffic, we convert it. So I want them to have as much web traffic as possible. And I was helping a, a locksmith in the Charleston area and on his service pages, you know, I split down and put three to six of his reviews onto those specific pages of car lockouts, home lockouts, um, business, whatever that might be. And then what's also great is he knew the locations of those jobs. So I was able to say that, you know, it's from Gabe in Somerville, which is a suburb outside of Charleston or this beach area. So not only are you working in that they're specifically adding keywords to the page and the person's talking about the topic, you can also work in locations that might be sublocations to the main area where their office or their main location is located. So it just adds all the way around. And then secondly, I'm, and I'm glad I did this now before you had a chance to like slap my hand on this. At the end of the year, we finally did a refresh of Leadferno's site. And that was one of the biggest things that I brought is more customer comments and we have a you know built for industries section where you can see how we work with home services companies and how we work with realtors and moving companies, things like that. Nice. We have testimonials from each of those types of customers. Uh, and I'm currently doing case studies in each of those types of industries that are being added to those pages as well. So you're exactly right. It's not getting rid of testimonials. It's applying them the right way that they have the most power instead of, as you pointed out, the only way I get the testimonials if I specifically go looking for them instead of let me put great testimonials in front of you while you're getting your other questions answered and looking to build trust with our company. Yeah. And if there's a, and the two questions that come up with testimonials frequently, how do I gather them? Hopefully you've got a process of a quality control or, you know, customer success process where you're calling everyone or talking to your clients and asking yep. them for feedback. Then when you meet the super fan, you uh, ask them nicely for permission to use their words. Question, common question number two, oh, what if I can't use their name or title or company or logo? Don't, then just don't. Then anonymize it as much as you have to, but it's better than no testimonial. And yep. by the way, a lot of visitors in a lot of categories totally understand that. You know, you're a, 
you're an IT security company, you know, or a locksmith. Locksmiths don't want to know that reveal the names of every one of their clients because sometimes they have the master keys in their office, you know. So no, you don't want to. Um, if you if you have to anonymize them, so be it. But it's but but uh, whatever you do, avoid making unsupported claims. Yep. Well, you've definitely driven me in just what you've said, and I have so much experience in this and working the ro- in the world of customer feedback and reviews, and then doing case studies. So many things. I need to do an episode uh, on that, uh, all the ways to do those things. It's actually really easy, um, not that difficult, and there's a lot of simple processes and tools you can use to do that. All right, number six, social icons on services pagers, up in the headers. To me, this is also the sign, when's the last time you touched your website because you still have a Google Plus icon (laughs) in your (laughs) social icons. Um, Total total party fall there, right? Yeah, ouch. Yeah, the um, people that do this fail to understand that there's really two kinds of pages on websites. There are pages that sell and pages that teach, as in your sales and service and money pages versus your content marketing blog post articles, right? So people share articles. People do not share service pages any more than they share advertisements, right? It's just not, it's not what those, it's not the job that page is supposed to do. So no, it's absurd to put share icons on on your on your service or sales or product pages, uh, and even worse would be to put icons uh, put uh, exit clicks social icons in the header on every page. That's and especially if they're in color. Right in the article, I jokingly called it like these are candy colored exit signs. Yeah. Why? If, if if you were an architect, Aaron, and you designed me a, a a retail space and you finished building it, and I walked in, and right inside the front door there were big signs that said exit. I would be angry. That would be malpractice. I'd be pretty upset, right? Why are you telling my my the visitor to leave as soon as they enter? Yep. That's what those things do. So um, less popular than it used to be. The internet's getting a little bit better, but you know, in case that anyone's still got those out there, we highly recommend removing them immediately. Yep, absolutely. And it also made me think of one other thing that that I see that I think kind of falls in uh, to the same area is uh, so many types of businesses that we work with. They display their Google review rating and their Google reviews in like a badge or an icon. And then when you click it, they take you to their Google business profile. They take you to, they're sending traffic to Google. They're not even doing it in a new tab. Your website's now gone. They're now in your reviews and you've made it even easier if they decide they don't like what they're reading. Now you've just given them the world's biggest search engine to find their next solution of what's there. That that one also boggles my mind. Like, Bring those reviews into your website, as we just talked about in the earlier point, bring them into the pages where they support the claims uh, that you're making and, and make them an asset to you instead of an escape route, as an exit sign, just as you put it. Yeah. As a general rule, I don't send my traffic's hard to win and easy to lose. Therefore, I do not encourage my visitors to go to web other websites that have spent tens of millions of dollars on usability studies to, to keep their visitors on their, on their sites, right? It's like yep. uh, these, these places have psychologists on staff and usability experts and software and run giant tests to keep their traffic there. So don't send people there. You've got the visitor. You got them from there, maybe. Keep them there. I'd keep them on your site for as long as you possibly can. There you go. Keep them there and convert them. That's, uh, that's yep. what we, we care. That's what I care about every single ounce of the day. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you uh, you as well. The next one we have, this has long uh, been a, a thing and was uh, even a favor of mine back in the days when we did the local university, you know, traveling uh, seminars and we're engaging with hundreds of small businesses at all these non-conference type towns like Spokane, Washington and Birmingham, Alabama and Syracuse, uh, New York. 
literally I had a time where we were doing live site clinics and we pulled up two different sites, two different uh, competitors that wanted their sites reviewed, both insurance companies. And on their homepage, they have the same stock photo, like same, you would not know the great, the logo is different, but it was the same photo of their supposed staff that was a person from, you know, each uh, ethnic race in the, in the area yep. stock photo. Why in this day and age when you can even use AI to create photos you want, you have so much incredible equipment to take your own photos, make your own video. How is this still happening? <laughs> There's a time and a place for the stock photos, but the stock photos of people are just especially bad because you know, it's, it, they just don't ring true. They don't look authentic. The lighting, the production quality, it's too perfect. People like them because they believe that production quality is important. But actually what they miss is that authenticity is way, way more important than production quality. Yep. And, and if you're worried about production quality, I swear each of us has, you know, if you count the front and back camera, we've got like incredible photography equipment in all of our pockets, yep. all of us, right? Shot on iPhone or whatever tool you're using. So, so no, it's, um, uh, or just budget a little bit, right. To get the, get, get your headshots done or, or just take some pictures, take some pictures around the office, you know, next time people are around those things are, uh, it's just so much better. It's so real. You're the only, and, and again, the brand marketer, or, uh, marketing strategist who wants to differentiate it's differentiation. You're the only company with those people. You are different. Be you be more human. The most Cuban brand wins, right? That's the connection. Now people are going to feel that connection. Every yep. stock, every stock photo, of people just a big missed opportunity. Totally. Um, I also throw out this little like uh, SEO backlink hack: hire a local photographer that has a website that pushes photos up and has their own like portfolio, right? So they come and shoot photos and have mm. ten different. Here's a plumber on the job doing these things. Here's their headshots, and they create a page on their website and they link to you. Now you have a local link built to your website. Did you pay that photographer? Yes. Did you get incredible assets that you can use web, print, whatever else? Did you also get a backlink? Yes. You can win across all these areas just by caring to do something with your photos. Aaron, very clever. Use that as a decision criteria for the photographer. Hire a photographer that has a website that, that uh, you know, has with a portfolio and that can link to a client. Yep. Why not? All things being equal. I mean, that that's a... Uh, there's a, that's a greater benefit. These are fun conversations. You know, <laughs> people that have an SEO background have a one more extra tiny consideration in the back of their mind at all times. And they end up in very different places. Yep. All right. We uh, only have time here just because I don't like to stretch people and you know, you and I can go on uh, forever, but let's just get to a, a couple more to close things out. Um, all right. So we get all these great photos taken. Now, Andy, what I want to do is I want to turn them into uh, 10 photos of a slideshow right when you come into my homepage. Should I do that? I recommend, we'll, we'll be quick. We recommend against slideshows. The data yep. shows that slideshows are not effective. Uh, if, there, if you have calls to action in your slideshows, you'll notice that the click-through rate on the second call, like, like the number two slide, is extremely low. Uh, this is uh, a widely studied thing. Uh, it, they're, they're mostly satisfying an internal political uh, friction where everyone yep. wants their own pixels and what about my department and hey, HR is important too. But no, marketing is about decisions, make a tough decision, pick the one thing that you want to feature at that depth and just use one thing. If you've got other things to say, stack them down below. Yeah. I, I know I've seen studies with slideshows in those rotations that like the retention of the second, third and fourth is like single did 2%, 1%, yeah. like it's ridiculous. So 
find the right images that encompasses, stick with that. Your homepage doesn't need to do everything as you said, you know, make everyone, every department, every solution, uh, every product, every service happy in one shot. The next one, uh, email links. Now the the outbound salesperson in me cries a little bit on this one because my life's a lot easier when I don't have to use any of my software tools to come up with an email link um, (laughs) when I'm looking to contact a business. But as you point out, you know, email, displaying your email also really isn't good for your conversion based on that channel and what you get. Yeah. And I've heard Leadferno now, uh, you know, you're adding forms now to the tool. I mean, that's brilliant. Uh, You know, as far as a channel for response, uh, text and SMS is huge. So if you, dear listener, if you haven't gotten a demo, get a Leadferno demo. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, No, my case here is that email, uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't ask specific questions. It doesn't route. It doesn't save to a database. Some of these you won't even get, right? If you got a filter, like you might not even get your lead. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, there's no scoring of the lead. It doesn't send to multiple people. There's not an automatic email response, right? Uh, and it attracts spam. Yep. So forms have none of those problems. Uh, the email link doesn't really track an analyst in GA4. Like there's all just so many issues why as users we have preferences and if you're feeling like oh but i like when i see an email link i get that but we're talking to website owners on this call so uh, my advice is to you as the marketer i know that you may have personal preferences as as an individual but i'm telling you as a marketer can't really disagree with any of those points so i have a form you could also have an email link next to it if that's super important to you or you just want to you know your personal preferences are taken priority but no forms be links for uh, any any day of the week. Yeah. And that's without me even getting on my soapbox that I ultimately think email is dying. I see it in some of the survey stats. I see it in the general opinion when customers use a tool like ours and they're communicating with customers through text and the efficiency they get as the business and also the responsiveness they get out of their prospects and customers. And, you know, we've just, uh, email has been so abused and so overblown and it's hard to be inbox zero for most people and the oh, yeah. 80 things you signed up for to save five, 10%, all of those things. So not to say it still doesn't, there, there still isn't value and things like that, but uh, I don't think your business is going to change one iota by getting rid of that email link and funneling yep. people towards contact routes, like being able to text you through a tool like Leadferno or contact forms, lead forms, things like that. All right, Andy, you still have a handful more, but this just works as a great teaser. I will be linking to your YouTube video, to your blog post on Orbit Media about it. Um, Once again, thanks so much for joining me. It's always such an easy conversation. You have so much uh, incredible insight to share. I'm sure I will barely make it another six months before something you do hits me right between the eyes and I'm like, we got to talk about it. We got to hit record and we got to talk about it. So I will be bugging you again. Sorry to tell you. Anytime I would never say no. And just impress, I learned some things here. I mean, your idea there about you dropped some nuggets and I appreciate that. And also talk about extra value. I mean, you're not just a tool for conversion. You're looking at the client sites. I'm, I'm really impressed at just the, the level you go to, Aaron. Absolute professional and glad to know you. Well, I don't know if all those levels are profitable, but I just can't help myself but to look at something and think, I think we can make this a little bit better. So that's the fun of it, right? It's the sport of digital. Yes. That's right. We're playing the sport of digital. Let's let's play to win. You know, bottom line is one thing, but it's also just a lot of fun to do this part. Awesome. Andy, thank you so much for joining me once again on Conversion Cast. My pleasure. 